The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, stop scrubbing your bugs with Ajax and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 174 with guest Kent Allstad, recorded live Friday, April 28, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.telerik.com. Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Online at www.devexpress.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who spilled H2O on his CPU, and now his PC is DOA, and he's SOL, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. You're listening to .NET Rocks again. I'm here as I am every week, well, most weeks anyway, with my compatriot, my partner in crime, that weird guy to the northwest, Richard Campbell. Up in the great white north, here I am. How are you, Carl? Over that way. I'm doing fine. How are you? Uh, things are great on the west coast. Yeah? Uh, my my office is all disassembled now after last week's uh, saltwater fish disaster. That's We're, good. Uh, I'm uh, coming to you live from my dining room table. <laughs> the makeshift studio. Yeah. And that crunching sound you'll hear is your kids eating their Wheaties right now. Yeah. Well, they're all back from school, so uh, here we are working away. And I've got almost everything rebuilt from the disaster. I have one computer left to reassemble. It is truly remarkable how much damage salt water does to motherboards. You would be staggered. Especially fishy salt water. Yeah, fishy salt water. Horrible. However, I'm taking advantage of the office being cut apart to go that one extra step. That one step I held back on when I originally built the office, I'm going there now. I am installing water pipes to no, do centralized water cooling. No, I knew you were going to say that. You're insane. I'm doing it. I had a plumber <laughs> in today. I found a plumber crazy enough to help me Richard run Campbell's water lines to my computer. mind. You know, I, I talked to uh, a contractor about doing something like that, and they looked at me like I had three eyes. They were like, dude, do you have any idea the kind of liability that you're looking at with, you know, one of those things decides to spring a leak? Yeah. 
I know, but I found the right guy, and we're designing it so that the pipes inside the wall are the strongest part of the system. Hmm. If it's going to fail somewhere, it's going to fail outside the wall. It's going to yeah. fail at the computer, and that was the plan. So right. I found the right guy. I think it's going to happen. Work on it next week, and I'll report back. All right. Well, uh, we got some other things to report. Uh, code camps. Right. There, but I don't know if you know this, but at shrinkster.com slash E-G-C, there is a list of code camps that are happening all over the United States, all over the world. And one that's happening in my neighborhood is coming up quick, May 6th and 7th, Code Camp 5, Code Frenzy. Code Frenzy. Yeah, the Microsoft Waltham office right outside of Boston. I've been there. Yeah. And our friend Tom Robbins running it, huh? Tom Robbins, Mr. Code Camp. I believe he is the guy who came up with the whole Code Camp idea. Anyway, we also have some uh, some email this week, don't we, Richard? Yes, sir. What do you got one over there, or? Yeah, I've I got an interesting one here. I'm going to read it and then explain it. Okay. So the email begins off. No way! You got Kim Cameron on the show. <laughs> I'd love to think my email had something to do with that. Yeah. Great interview. Kim's got some very interesting and important things to talk about, but the topics can seem pretty stuffy at first glance. You both did a great job of keeping the discussion interesting, relevant, and fun. I'm looking forward to the DNR TV. I'm very glad that you asked that question about physical cards at the end. The Mm -hmm. info card, smart card distinction is very important. I've really been appreciating DNR TV lately, too. Great stuff. John Galloway. Yeah. Yes, John. The reason we did that show about Kent with Kim Cameron is because of your email. Yep. You sent me an email saying, I'd really like to see this guy. And I went to Kim Cameron's uh, blog at identityblog.com and was blown away and spent the next couple of months trying to recruit him. And we got him. And yep. he's on the show. Thanks, John. Yeah. So thanks very much for that, John. And I just want to remind everyone, if you've got somebody you'd like to hear on the show, please send us an email. I can't guarantee anything, right? but I love your ideas and we're happy to schedule them in. And we read them all, don't we? We certainly do. Yep. What do you got? So I have another one. This this one is uh, a, a, comes with a story. It's from Matthew Wright. I'll read, he gives us two emails. I'll read the first one first. Dear Carl and Richard, I am an infrastructure designer developer in the UK. And I live in a small town called Seven Oaks, about 25 miles southeast of London. I've been listening to DNR now for about two years or so and developing in C-sharp for about three years. I could go on and on and on about what a great resource DNR is and what great insight into not just .NET, but all sorts of technologies because of the variety of guests that are on the show and the different interests they have. But I won't because I'm sure you get truckloads of emails to that effect. And, you know, I never should have said stop Stop sending us these great praises, you know? (laughs) I never should have said that because I thrive on them, obviously. It's true. Uh, I could also go on about how you and Richard feel more like colleagues or mates than talk show hosts and just how listening makes you feel part of the interesting technical discussions that you guys have with each other and your guests. But again, I'm sure you've heard it all before. And funny uh, thing is that's exactly where the show came from. Exactly. Was the, uh, the speaker room conversations. That's right. It's not just us up here talking. We're interacting with you, hopefully. Uh, I thought I'd mail you because I found a great way of listening to DNR and wondered if anyone else does this. I'm in the process of training for the 2006 London Marathon, which is in a couple of weeks. And I've found the best thing for me to listen to on my MP3 player while on those long, cold... Yes, it's still cold here in the UK in April. What is that about? 
laborious long runs is .NET Rocks and occasionally Hansel Minutes. I find that running is the only time you can really focus your full attention on advanced technical concepts or discussions without any of the usual distractions of phone or email or work or kids. Not only that, but it's a great distraction from the running, and by the time an average show finishes, an hour's running has passed, and the miles have flown by. I'm even thinking about saving the next few weeks' DNR to listen to during the marathon itself, which I'm running to raise funds for UK charity called Dreams Come True, which grants wishes to terminally and seriously ill children. See www.justgiving.com slash Matthew Wright for details. Anyway, just thought you'd be interested in that useful and unusual way of listening to .NET Rocks. Keep up the good work. It's a great service you provide, verging on public service broadcasting, informative and entertaining. Cheers, Matthew Wright. Well, uh, Richard and I both uh, felt compelled to sponsor Matthew. We went to his page, and I, I don't even think we did this. We never talked about it. That's we didn't the talk joke. about it. Right. Both of us, we, whenever you send an email to the .NET Rocks email, we both get it. And we both read it, yep. and we both had exactly the same reaction, which was to donate. Yep, so we donated some money to the cause, and uh, then we got uh, some thank you letters back. And then, just like a couple weeks ago, uh, we got this. I'm pleased to report that I completed the London Marathon in 3 hours, 51 minutes, and 55 seconds. Not least of all, because of having something decent to listen to on those long training runs. <laughs> <laughs> I am pleased to say that we have raised enough to cover a trip to Disneyland, Paris, for a little boy with metachromatic leukodystrophy and his family. See JustGiving.com, Matthew Wright, for the total raise so far. There is no cure for this child's illness, but thanks to your generous donations, there is enough money for the family to have a break from the hospitals and the treatment and enjoy some happy times and create some wonderful memories before his condition deteriorates further. Thank you very much. Isn't that a great story? Love it. Okay, well, let's uh, introduce the guest, shall we? Why not? Kent Alstad is a senior consultant at MCW Technologies, which is at mcwtech.com. We know some other people from MCW Tech, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah. You'd mention uh, Ken Getz, for example. Yeah. Uh, he is chief architect at Strange Loop Networks, which is strangeloop.net. And Senior Architect of Content Solutions at the Active Network, which is at active.com. Kent began developing Microsoft Windows apps using VB and Visual C with a 1.0 version and has been using them as his primary development environments ever since. Currently, Kent is focused on creating and communicating best practices and approaches for the development of .NET applications and services. Kent brings a dynamic approach to effective day-to-day -day practices of software developers and software project managers. He draws from a broad spectrum of experience, from coder to CTO. Raw enthusiasm combined with practical insight is the cornerstone of Kent's speaking style. Kent is also a part of the Euclidean Software Group at euclideansoftwaregroup.com, a company of senior consultants that manages a .NET development shop in Riga, Latvia. Welcome, Kent. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, uh, VB and C together for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way, way back in the beginning, it was, uh, you know, C, C, VBX, 
right. patrols, uh, you know, in VB1. Right, I remember. And yeah, you're popsicle ex- sticks, popsicle sticks on a map for Port of Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> they wow. really liked the popsicle sticks, though. <laughs> they were very effective. <laughs> so you, you, you build your guts and your controls and components with uh, C and then write your applications in VB? That's how it went? Uh, well, that was back in the day. You know, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Now, you know, now it's either C-sharp or VB.net. Sure. Uh, I, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the VBX standard, such as it was, was really slapped together at the last minute by Microsoft. So that's right. Building stuff in VBXs was not for the weak. No. Yeah. No. I, uh, I generally get assigned the, you know, jobs that draw blood. So <laughs> that, that one, well... You know, if people liked it. I, I will say. I mean, you could obviously do some special things when you went into C, in in you know, in that environment. But uh, I'm sure thankful for object oriented languages now. I'll say that. You want to hear something crazy? Jay Monroe, a developer at uh, Crescent Software at the time, VB1 came out when I was there. Uh, who who went to work for PC Magazine after that? Now he's TechTunes.com. He was writing VBXs in Assembler. Yes. Ouch. Yeah, yeah, I actually used some of that Crescent software stuff in postal in in a postal postal application. It was the fastest reading file reading and file writing. That's right. It was yeah, and it was all assembler tweaked. Yeah, I remember. I used that stuff. That was good stuff back in the day. Yeah, and it, we have very good performance. Yeah, that's that was always the key, and they were all about educating people on assembler, even though they usually didn't want to be educated on assembler, but. <laughs> Educating but, people on Assembler. I'm not sure if there's a career in that. Yeah, I don't know. Certainly wasn't for that. Um, well, let's fast forward to the present day. You're you're really into uh, ASP.NET and, in particular, Atlas. Yes, I've you know I've got a large investment in ASP.NET. Um, all of the content management stuff I did for IronPoint, which is you know now active, is all in ASP.NET, and mm-hmm. really. I came to see Atlas through, you know, the notion that I wanted to make our, our content solution better. And yeah. so I, I took to, you know, finding the best way to go about, uh, you know, getting rid of our customer problems. Now, I don't believe Atlas has, we've, we've talked about Atlas on this show yet, have we, Richard? Well, I mean, it's been mentioned. Yeah. The th- Cursory. I've been looking for the right guest for Atlas for some time. You know, we've we've had been we've talked to a few Microsoft people about it, and it's sort of been danced around. Right. What really got me excited about Atlas with Kent was that Kent built a session recently uh, where he took an ASP.NET application built the traditional way mm-hmm. and converted it to Atlas. Hmm. And I thought, what a real-world example that was. It was a real proof of what's different, what it's really all about. And that's when I asked him to come on the show. We've, we've known each other a long time and done a lot of things together, but this was special. It was a unique thing. I thought it was the best way we could talk about Atlas. And well, it was for a Vancouver Code Camp. Excellent. It was for the Vancouver Code Camp. Code Camp's rock. So yeah, that, was a fun, that was a fun Code Camp. Let's assume that the listener has never seen or heard Atlas. You've heard about it a little bit, but most people, I don't think, know what it is bit-wise. I mean, binary-wise, what is it? Is it a framework? Is it a development environment? What is it? It's a JavaScript library for the client Mm -hmm. and a component, an Atlas DLL that goes into your ASP application that allows you to use and integrate web services with AJAX, uh, right. com- client-side components and really exposes 
AJAX, which is, you know, the asynchronous mechanism for exchanging XML with the, you know, with your JavaScript on the client mm-hmm. and your web service on the server. Uh, it basically put, gives you a framework that works across browsers for doing this. Yeah, um, that's great. I mean, there's the, I mean, the main thing to understand is that the problems of integrating and building an AJAX application, which is, you know, the, the basic technology for AJAX has been out there for a long time, uh, it, there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go into building these kinds of applications, and Atlas is Microsoft's uh, solution and framework to address building AJAX applications. You know, the thing that... Uh piques my interest the most is web services. I mean, it's one thing to say we can do AJAX, right? But and quite another thing to have existing exposed web services that you can now hit that, with that, JavaScript. Absolutely fabulous for that. I mean, you're, you're looking at a declarative uh, script manager, a, a single line of, uh, of binding to you know attach your web service and You can then start using your web service directly from your JavaScript. In fact, you can create objects in your JavaScript and pass them to functions on the server. Wow. Yeah, I was just really impressed and happy. Um, Wow, and on that, let's uh, just take a second for that to sink in, shall we? So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm stuck here thinking about this while you're going on to the next thing. Um, So, the classes were probably thinking of are classes where the or objects where the classes themselves are defined by the web service? Yes. Really? Yeah, for, yeah, for example, I built a sample customer service and I had, you know, two different uh, customer domain objects that were exposed, a, a customer reference, which was just kind of the short name of a customer, a proxy, if you will, for the a list, right. and then the customer itself, which I wanted to allow editing of. Hmm. And imagine that... Uh, wow. I can bind that object directly to controls with a, a system of declarative binding. Good lord! And uh, and then I can actually create a customer. I can I can create a new customer object. You know, my web service dot customer. Yeah. New. You know, and and I'm I've actually <laughs> got a customer to to start populating with data. Wowie wowie wow! I mean, to me, when, when that worked, I, when I show that, and, and I just step through that, a lot of people are. Very surprised. Kind of like they are right now, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's you know something. It's surprisingly few lines of code. So I, I would like to say too that there's a there's a number of technologies in Atlas. So it's a pretty broad offering. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm coming at it from the content solution point of view originally, which was I have too many postbacks in my application. My yeah. my users are frustrated by you know some operations seemingly taking a long time and flashing the screen. Right. Uh, they just cannot see the relation to you know what they did. Mm. And there is a number of very simple solutions for that with Atlas.
Now that I'm producing all these shows every week, I don't have time to teach my classes anymore. I knew I had to find good trainers to teach, but I didn't take that decision lightly. So I turned to my friend Mark Dunn and the regional directors and MVPs. Mark Dunn introduced me to one of his top VB trainers, Tom Kinzer. Tom did a couple classes for us and we couldn't be happier. He consistently gets all nines on his evals, perfect for teaching the VBNet Masterclass, which is now the Dunn Training VB.net Masterclass. Thanks, Mark. When looking for a teacher for the ASP.net Masterclass, the obvious choice was Miguel Castro. If you've ever seen him speak at Code Camps or on .NET Rocks, you know that nobody goes deeper than Miguel into ASP.net. And he also consistently gets perfect scores on his evals. Every other ASP.NET class he teaches is in either VBNet or C-Sharp. So first he'll do one in VBNet, and then the next month it'll be in C-Sharp. One very special class we're offering in August is the iDesign WCF Masterclass with Michelle LaRue Bustamante. Michelle and the folks at iDesign are deeply into Windows Communication Foundation, codenamed Indigo. So if you're planning on developing a distributed system at this point, you should be using WCF. Of course, you can check out the course outlines and dates at www.franklins.net. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smart. applications. First of all, the simple form, which is called a partial rendering application. Mm -hmm. And when you have a partial rendering application, you use all your server-side logic, and you create one script manager tag and this thing called an update panel, which is just a tag that you surround the content that you want to refresh during a partial rendering. So it's a technique where you use all your server-side controls, your server-side logic is retained, mm-hmm. except you can say, hey, run this post back and only produce the HTML for this region that I've got surrounded mm. by the panel update. Wow. Sorry, the update panel. It's kind of like an iframe idea. Yeah, very yeah, very similar, but in this case, I mean, they're handling the web service right. call behind the scenes. They call all your regular you know, uh, logic on your server side, but only update the small region of the screen. Sweet. And, and I'm, I just finished converting my sample, and there was seven lines of code to change, and the flashing was almost eliminated. Wow. Almost. Okay, and that's because in my particular application, um, my partial postback still, it wasn't, there was an interaction between a list and some, and, and what's called an item view, which is the layout of a customer, and there was flashing still in that partial rendering between those two controls. Hmm. So to get rid of that, I'm, I can actually go the whole enchilada, the whole way with Atlas and, and actually use their uh, control library where I uh, can declaratively bind my web service to client-side controls, which mm-hmm. are just extended uh, you know, div tags right. and input controls. Yeah. And I can, you know, uh, in a very JavaScript-like language inside a gra- JavaScript tag, I can declare a binding 
which is very similar to declaring a binding, an object binding in on the server side in C Sharp. Hmm. And then I can start to respond to events and things all in JavaScript on the client side. Hmm. So then my application where I had a little bit of flash with partial rendering comes it, with no flash at all. I'm now you know, saving, um, moving to new customers, wow. just like I have a, a client-side application, really. It's so sweet. And, and the, the user experience in this case is uh, just far, far better. Yeah. You know, far, far better. I mean, it, just simple things like scroll bars and things which are cause applications well, to flip to the top and confuse users right. are, are eliminated. Let me, let, me, let me take the quintessential test, I think, of, of Ajax-style technology, which is a progress bar, right? right? How many times have you seen different this done with different technologies and and it's always a pain in the ass, isn't right. it? How how easy is this to do? Well, they have a progress bar control, so that is just <laughs> a single. I mean, that is a, one of the standard use cases where virtually no code in that case. Wow. So, yes, yeah, I mean, you just happen to hit on, uh, you know, the, the whole progress scenario, which is very common, right? Because now if you're updating a portion of the screen, you want to let your user know that something's happening. One of the particular issues that I wanted to use a progress bar in is uh, uploading a file. And I don't want to use the HTTP upload because it's basically a black box. Right. You say send the file and it either works or it doesn't. And there, isn't any, there isn't even a way to, to catch an exception on the server if it blows up if you send too much data for it or something. Right. So uh, what I had done is I've written a web service-based file upload or a file transfer. Now, it's going to be slow, but it is going to work, and you can define the chunk size of, you know, the size of the chunks that you send, and there's an opportunity for status. And I'm thinking this would be a perfect yeah, uh, you, could, marriage. you could just have it look at, you know, you could have a screen, you know, and any sort of drawing that you wanted, you know, either spinning thing or, I mean, they've got a number of different controls they ship with. Wow. But you could just have that, you know, sending back information as it went for however long. Just continue, you know, have that as a portion of the screen and continue on with the application. That seems almost, it should be illegal. It's so easy. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, now let's talk about some pain. Yeah, here. let's talk some pain. Well, right. yeah, there was some pain in learning this, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, the, with the latest, uh, the April CTP, the, 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 the April download on atlas.asp.net, yeah. um, there's a lot better documentation, mm-hmm. and the pain is reduced, greatly reduced. Okay. If you were... Uh, brazen enough to develop months ago, like I did, Atlas applications mm-hmm. and investigate, you would find that subtle changes have been made, which are very difficult to find. I, I mean, I've, I've poured over the documentation of what changed, but subtle things like target element becoming ID hmm. uh, made it, I mean, I got my first yeah. taste of what it was going to be to be debug, you know, unexpected problems, um, which, you know, it took right. me a while to figure out what was going on. Um, but I mean, I'm, I, I, I guess I was kind of warned, right? You go into beta stuff and you, you know, you're going to have to, you know, bruise your forehead against sure. the wall. Yeah, it's, uh, it's expected. I, I heard a lot of grumbling too in the RD community about, you know, things changing and breaking and stuff. I, I really don't pay that much attention to it to tell you the truth, because you, if you're not, you, you, first of all, you don't run beta bits on a production machine. Right. And you can, you got to expect it. Yeah, I thought I thought all the improve everything they changed was an improvement. So, other than the fact that I had to do this transition and rewrite my samples, 
that was I agreed with the changes. It, it got better. How about pain in in Atlas itself? Something, anything lacking? Anything not work exactly the way it should? Well, I was always able to get so far. I've been able to get everything to work. I mean, some of the other cool technologies are these. This concept of a bridge, which yeah. allows you to um, pull a web service from another domain into your app domain and call it from within your JavaScript or your Ooh. your web page. Vuhai, which <laughs> wow, uh, that's weird. Yeah, well, that's pretty when, important when, when you when you imagine yeah. imagine a typical scenario. I'm I'm developing an application. Somebody needs a web service for some other purpose, and all of a sudden, I get the idea that hey, why can't I integrate this or use this in my new application? Hmm. And you don't really want to have to integrate all this new web service into your new application necessarily. You'd hmm. like to be able, especially if it's existing, and you maybe your company's already shipped it. It's it's old. It's been used for a year. Um, in that case, you pull that web service in from the other domain, really build a proxy for it, in effect. That's really what you're your doing. Is, yeah, you're building a proxy, yeah. And which is, a, I mean, again, this is plumbing that has to work on various browsers, which is just a drag to spend your time on when you're, you're paid to solve a business problem. So let's talk about those various browsers. What does it work on? What does it not work on? Uh, so far, I everything. I have not seen it not work on. I mean, I've been through Opera. I've been through... Uh, I, I just, for us, Firefox and and uh, and IE are the ones that we test exhaustively on, right. um, and we test on Firefox on Mac. So yeah, we haven't had any troubles with browser compatibility. I just got a report from a friend who uh, is dealing with uh, an, a problem with Opera because it doesn't support some stuff he's trying to do with Atlas. Okay, so we'll have to think about yeah. that. Take a look at that a little close, more closely, listener. That is the main claim to fame here, is that you're getting a library that is cross-browser. Right. And anybody who's, I mean, the testing effort alone in verifying that it's cross-browser is formidable. Well, if you think about the, the two dominant browsers, right, Firefox and, uh, and, and IE, what, it, what, else, what else is there? Um, AOL, you know, which is basically IE. Or is it Netscape now? I can't remember. I think they kept it IE, but an older version. And, and Netscape itself. I mean, you can yeah, we the have gecko, all the Gecko-based browsers, in effect. Yeah, and the Mozilla stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. But I guess the, they don't make up very much of the pie. You know? No, no, you're no, really wanting to support Firefox. and Firefox fact, and IE, yeah. Most of the time when we want to go across uh, OSs, we just you know make sure Firefox works, works basically identically on all the OSs. So when, we, yeah. when, you, when you get your app working right on Firefox, it generally works on all. Yeah. So that I mean that's a great a great browser to target. Mm -hmm. Cool. And IE just seems to work. I mean that's what everybody's testing on. So between right. those two, I think. Well, we have a fairly large browser um, uh, range in our in our community, and we support, like I said, IE and and uh, Firefox on all platforms, and we have had no complaints. Okay. There's, there's, and we deal with a lot of universities. So oh. I, I've been I've been happy with Atlas's coverage, but then again, I'm not an Opera user, so well, I, I yeah. have to. Who is you know? Apparently, <laughs> <It's laughs> somebody there. Not an Opera singer either. Yeah, and I don't want to get any emails from Opera users. All right, just leave me alone. Yeah, both You're you listening guys to a dot out. net show. Yeah, both of you guys out there. Uh, so so what are some of the other cool things? Now you mentioned these these controls. What do we have? We have a progress bar. You said you have like a. Uh, what are some of the other controls that come with the toolkit? Well, there's a uh, a, a grid like a, a, a record binding mechanism. For mm. me, 
I mean, the controls that are interesting to me are that I just wanted to extend HTML and declaratively bind. Yeah. Because in, in my world, you have a designer that creates an HTML page. Yep. And, you know, like it or not, they just don't work in, uh, you know, Visual Studio. And I, what I would like is the ability to just take that web page and integrate it with the extenders and declaratively bind and go to it. Right. So, although, yes, there is a whole set of controls, I have found them not incredibly interesting. Yeah. And um, is it easy to make your own? Uh, yes, there's a whole library. There's not. It hasn't really kicked off yet. There's a, a whole extensibility model where you can create your own controls based on uh, this library. So there's a whole opportunity for vendors. There's a you know bunch of information for vendors. I hmm. think that we're going to see this be a basis of a lot of new controls coming out. Right now, wow. it's pretty confusing. If you've got you know who how, how do people support AJAX? Everybody wants to support AJAX, but there's really not a common standard, and I think we're going to see Atlas become that AJAX standard. Yeah, and there's been some great third-party tools like one you know, like our sponsor, um, yeah. Telerik has got has been doing AJAX since you know a long time. Right. Yeah, we use Telerik as well. So I I. Uh, yeah, there's definitely competition, but the the real question is what? How are we going to form a standard? We all got to work together here, right? Yeah, I imagine the Telerik guys are going to embrace Atlas as well. It's sort of their model, you know. Yeah. So that's what I'm expecting. Yep. I mean, definitely the whole the the whole Atlas framework was created with that model in mind. Yep. So the you'll model that. that third parties will be building controls against it. Right. Yeah. Same. Same old. Same old. We've seen it before. Um, and we'll get the best of breeds probably from those that community in generally. You know, we always see the, the best controls in the end come out of Telerik or Infragistics or any of those. Right. And speaking of Telerik, they've been a sponsor of .NET Rocks for quite a long time now and good friends of ours. We love their tools. We use them on .NET Rocks.com. And uh, you should check out what they're doing with Ajax and their controls. They've sort of wrapped it all up for you. And uh, you can take, it a, take a look at that at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. So, Kent, you built a project for the Code Camp in Vancouver that involved taking a traditional ASP.NET app. And believe me, I love saying traditional with ASP.NET. <laughs> it's funny. But using postbacks, the normal way we'd work in ASP.NET, and converted it to Atlas. And I think you just commented out the code that wasn't needed anymore, added new ones in. Maybe you want to explain to us that experience and what actually changed. Absolutely. Okay. So what I did was create a little online uh, Coolwind grocery store, and, and what I did is uh, originally built a service-oriented architecture, try to really build uh, a starting app the way I normally would build it in production, uh, because I really wanted to know, you know, if I've got an application out there right now and I'm going to start using Atlas, I, I could care less really if I ha- if I have to reform it and it and it works really quickly and easily. But I I, I need to make it work with what I I have right now, what exists. Mm. So I built this application with you know object binding, um, 
records, you know, had, I built a, a web service as well as a service that, uh, you know, search for customers, return customers, update customers, relatively simple. Um, but, you know, I, I made sure I had logical partitions for all the layers and I kind of carefully crafted it. Mm-hmm. Um, then we came to step one, which was to use and apply the Atlas technology with what's called the partial rendering. And that allowed me to retain all of my code. I did not have to come out, comment out even a single line. I added five lines, and I eliminated 80% of the postbacks. Wow. Wow, wow I mean, indeed. really, really took maybe, you know, it, with my reading to get it up and running, um, an hour if that, just to see what, you know, where did I want my, my update panel? How did I want to position it? And it's, it's not a 100% solution. Like I said, 80, 85% of the postbacks in this particular application were eliminated. Wow. Um, awesome return. Yeah. And, and so that's pretty impressive, uh, you know, for people who, who don't want to deal with new control libraries or complex behaviors and code that would need to be rewritten or migrated to the client for a more sophisticated AJAX solution. Yeah. This is, you know, giving you a lot of what the user pain is, uh, you know, or getting rid of, excuse me, a lot of what the user pain is with very little uh, risk of new logic uh, introduction and bugs or, you know, very simple. I was very happy with it. Um, so that was step one. Step two was to embrace the last 15% and use uh, and sort of port the binding from uh, server-side binding and in this case, C-sharp or, or VB.net to JavaScript and Atlas declarative binding and these control extensions, which really meant I had to, all my binding logic that was on the server uh, was eliminated. And I had similar binding code that was then introduced on the client. Uh, the same methods, the, I made sure that the, the same DLL that did all the business services, you know, I, there was zero lines of code change there, which was really important to nice. me. I, I, I wanted to show that, look, I'm only changing the presentation layer here. Right. And, you know, I'm retaining my entire right. investment in all my business logic, all those rules that you wrote, all those customer objects that you created, if yeah. you wish, can be used. Spectacular. Well, the big thing is not having to make changes to them, so they have to go back into QA and make sure you didn't break them. Right. The fact that they're completely unscathed to me is vital. That's a huge cost saving. That's a yeah. That's a, probably the biggest expense in maintaining web applications, don't you think, Richard? Yeah. It's, you you got you go to implement something new like this, some new layer, and it touches every bit of code, and everything has to be tested again. Absolutely, and in all browsers and. I mean, for us uh, in a content management solution where I was originally researching this, uh, you know, it was critical that we have a non-invasive technique for fixing our problems. And we had a huge commitment, like, you know, 300,000 lines of business logic. There was no way that, I mean, I I had to be pretty careful about proving that. Now, just to to finish off the, you know, the stage two, which was the 100% solution, um, there was a fair amount of code change in terms of material lines that had to change and move from server to client. Mm -hmm. And there's this risk that if I had, maybe I used Telerik's uh, HTML editor, which we do a a lot. 
um, you know, how is that going to work? Was it, was it going to use the same technique and, and was the binding going to work the same? What if I had a, you know, a grid from another vendor? Um, it, if I was using the extension technology and, you know, the, the 100% solution where I was, you know, using Atlas client controls, there was questions that I still feel there's going to be dragons in some way, I, yeah. I feel that's not going to be a, a, a slam dunk solution. You're going to have to, you know, go. I'm in my case going to wait for Telerix new controls to come out and make sure I see a clear path before I go there. Right. Um, so that is not fully mature yet, mostly because my fears are that the third parties haven't. Uh, stabilize their code where I'm ready to introduce that into our applications. Well, and let's face it, Atlas isn't, isn't baked yet, right? Right. It's just coming to fruition now. Yeah. And we need to let the, you know, the, the 100% solution needs to settle out. Right. But it's surely the most compelling. Absolutely. You know, that, and, and in that solution, I actually created the customer on the, on the, in JavaScript on the client side and fired it off to a, you know, the update to a web service. And, you know, you can change an element in the customer call update and the update takes the customer object and you know, really see the integration, the seamless integration of the object uh, moving from uh, client to server. And for me, who really puts a lot of stake in, in object-oriented and service-oriented architecture, the idea that I'm able to use objects and make the fundamental unit of my thinking, not an XML document, but an object, yeah. um, is important to me. Right. Yeah, me too. The less I have to muck with regular XML, the better, the happier I am. Right. Really. And, and, and really, this is facilitating that in a big way. Yeah. You know, um, I can hear all the rabid salivating listeners out there going, yeah, 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 yeah. And probably some of them are asking him that question that we always ask whenever a, a, a great technology comes out for either Windows apps or the web is, why do we need the other one now? You know, it's like Windows apps are going to go away. You know, this kind of stuff you hear all the time. And I'm just here to, to be the voice of reason that what Microsoft is doing with Atlas is making those applications that are web-centric, that are they need to be on the web for their own reasons, and we're making them richer, better, and right. and easier to develop, and more like their Windows counterparts. But the reason that you pick one platform or the other doesn't have anything to do with you know, you know the the this kind of technology. Usually, those those decisions are made beforehand for bi- for bigger reasons. Yeah, hopefully business reasons. Hopefully business reasons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever I say about technology, the business reason is the most important reason. Exactly. <laughs> in case anybody ever wants to misinterpret me. That's right. <laughs> this quote. You said that was a... At any rate, yeah, the business reason is paramount. Yeah, so just the voice of reason here. You know, good stuff. And if you are developing Windows applications and you're looking for components, look no further than Developer Express. Our friends at Developer Express include Mark Miller, who's the chief architect and designer of Code Rush and Refactor and all their software development tools. Uh, you know, he's been on the show before. He's a genius. A lot of us use Code Rush. I can't code without it. But they have a lot of other great tools, too, so check them out. And, of course, it's our advertisers and sponsors that allow us to bring you these conversations with people like Kent. So please go check them out and tell them thanks for sponsoring .NET Rocks.
Now, interestingly, all three of us are friends of Mark Miller. <laughs> and I think the last time Kent saw Mark Miller, we were shooting paintballs at him. <laughs> we were yeah, talking before the show about that. I was shooting paintballs at Mark <laughs> relentlessly. And it's quite remarkable how much of a paintball magnet Mark Miller is. Yeah, if I remember that story, he got his ass kicked, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, to say the least. But the thing was that it was team. I think there was some there was some shooting from his own side. There was friendly fire involved. <laughs> And of course, we're talking about SDC, the Software Development Conference in the Netherlands that uh, all of us, all three of us, including Mark, are going to be attending here in May. First time for me. Right. Yeah, you're going you're to enjoy it. Fabulous. It's a Fabulous great people. show. Yeah. So you guys, you said you mentioned you know each other, and um, you two, Richard and, and Kent, are working together on a project, right? You bet. What's oh, yeah. that all about? And this is, by the way, this is a big moment for Richard because he's been telling me uh, for about a year and a half now, I'm working on something that'll blow your mind. I can't tell you. I'd have to kill you. And he couldn't <laughs> tell me. And, and recent, I recently found out, and this is his big announcement, right? Right. Have you got the poison nearby? <laughs> I have, I have Be the capsule. Because if we go into too much detail, I'm going to say poison now, and that is your cue word. <laughs> So what is it? You know, Kent really should tell this story. He is the originator of it. Okay. And uh, the, the beginning, it, it definitely goes with Kent. I'll jump in uh, as we go along. The only thing I knew about it is that it was a pwop, meaning it was one of those forehead slapping moments that, aha, why didn't we think of this earlier? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, well, it, it basically comes from analyzing... Uh, enterprise and, and, and web farm applications mm -hmm. and seeing that uh, personalization from session to view state to caching, um, really there was a lot of trouble dealing with affinity, dealing with scaling, yeah. and there was no complete solution. There was a lot of frustration. And, you know, even today, there's a lot of frustration. If you sure. look at, you know, there's a lot of new technologies available in ASP2, but still, there's not, in my view, a scalable, uh, redundant, uh, in-process mechanism for accelerating your web apps and, most importantly, load balancing, allowing them to scale. So, typically, what I was seeing while I was working with my clients, and they were, you know, they, heaven forbid, they get successful, They're, they find out that their application has a lot of session data, a lot of view state data, mm. and all of a sudden, they can't, you know, they, they can't buy enough hardware, right. and because it's all got to run on a single machine, and they can't really maintain it, because the users in, you know, Russia don't want the website going down at 3 a.m., right. and it becomes a real problem. Yeah. So, we started to really look at this, and it, you know, a Eureka kind of came to us when we realized that we could build a load balancer and start communicating between OSI level 4 routing and 7 application and, and give upstream information to the router so that it could handle these things and build a smart router, a smart gateway that uh, would scale, would be redundant, and would allow these uh, web apps to run without affinity. So let me just translate that for the mere mortals in the audience. That means you're stuffing the session data and the view state data and all that other stuff in the router and keeping it in the router. Correct. Yeah. 
You know, your normal large-scale model, when you get into the web form model, maybe a dozen web servers, you in the front of it, you've got some pretty serious routing hardware. Right. And you might get into Cisco or Big IP or anything like that, especially for SSL. Yeah. They're handling that up front. But all your session data is living on a SQL server on the back end. Yeah. So your web servers, you can't have the session data in them anymore because otherwise you got to use those routers to stick the session. Right. So the same user always go back to the same web server. And that's a terrible way to work. It's a bad way. So to get that sessionless behavior with the web server, you use SQL server on the back end and you cluster it. I mean, it's a lot of money where the gear. It's kind of overkill what SQL server does. But the big thing is when you pull session data out like that, every page rendering involves three trips there's the base trip which is the user to the web server and back again Mm -hmm. but there's also the trip to go get the session data from the database and then to put it back Mm. and that time significantly decreases the performance of the server so suddenly where you were able to run on one server your next step is almost never two it's five wow because as soon as you go to sessionless you need all this additional gear and you have all this overhead to make that work yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of hassle managing it too. I mean, the reality is that when you introduce this, you'd like to make it. You don't want to install you know software on all nine servers, and you know manage all nine servers. You've already got enough trouble, really. Yeah. You know, normally. Right. And you know to get non-affinity running is a pretty sophisticated job, and we felt that you know we could build an appliance, and we've successfully done it now, um, that would solve that problem. But most importantly, we invented this new method of routing, which we're patenting. Right. And that is this notion of synthesis from, you know, in, the, in the upstream router. Right. And that has proven very effective for us. We've, tr- you know, we've started with session. We saw a view state. Now we're seeing all sorts of treatments that we're able to put on and manage by application yeah. in these clusterable um, web appliances. Hmm. We see a lot of opportunity. We're, we're getting, you know, 60 percent shrinkage in messages. We're yeah, this is what I was going to say, what your numbers are in terms of performance increase. Well, we're, we're just slightly slower than Improc, and we're three nice. times faster than State Server, six times faster than SQL Server. Wow. Um, but that's just with Session. I mean, one thing that you should understand about this solution is it's it's crossing, it's dealing with clustering, it's, you know, and so you have failover on the strange loop box. It's dealing with load balancing, so it's, you know, got smart, good, not, you know, you're, you're not dealing with, you know, funky, putting dual cards yeah. in all these machines. I mean, it's a, it's a hardware load balancer. Right. Um, so, you know, you're getting treatments of, like, compression and white space removal and, all, it, and, and, and stripping out view state all on this box. So we, we're trying to combine five or six key features that really are difficult to manage, uh, you know, now with, you know, basically you'd have to set that up on all of your servers and continually maintain it. And, and how transparent is it for the .NET developer? There, uh, I think that's than- really been the key model that we've done with this whole design is that we're focusing the technology on the IT professional, not on the developer. Uh, Our goal is as little code change as possible. And I can't say zero yeah. because there is one change you've got to do. As soon as you get outside of the in-process model, you must have serializable objects well, in the session. Well, but you've got serializable objects if you're using state server or SQL server right. anyway. Anything other than in-proc, you must be serializable. So that is the only requirement we're going to put on the developer. So there is no difference. I mean, if you're doing a web farm, you're using that anyway. If you have That's more right. than one machine, you're out of process. You're already taking that punishment. Only our provider is better helps you debug your, your serialization, 
And it's basically, you, instead of saying you're, you're using SQL Server provider, you're using the strange loop provider for so session. So it's a config file setting, basically. Right. Yeah, so that's it, all it, it takes. All, all, all done by your IT guy. Think about the way that the white space or, or the uh, compression is going to work. You can configure compression on each one of your IIS servers. Yeah. But it's tough. And it takes care and feeding. It's not a simple thing to do. Right. Putting it out on the router so that it's only in one place makes it very easy. Every web server complies to it. Right. And it's easy to see what's going on on the web server because it's, it's not one compressed place. on the web server side. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. So, that was our that was our head slapping experience. We yeah. felt it was a lot like, uh, you know, you know, you could eliminate stir stick, uh, coffee stir stick use worldwide if only people would put the milk in and then the coffee. That's right. You know, <laughs> how many trees would be saved? And and really, in, in our view, this is a very similar patent and a similar idea. Yeah. And that is that you know we're we're seeing that there was the, the order was wrong, folks. Right. If you did it in this other order, um, it made a lot more sense, and it opened up a whole new world of solutions to us, yeah. which we're just starting to leverage, research, benchmark. Sweet. Very exciting stuff for and us. And so you ha- when, you, when you plan to have boxes ready for uh, shipping? I think it, John's plan is January 2007. That's beautiful. Wow, so what can I say? all been filed. The prototypes are working. We're just gearing up now, and give us a few months to start getting into manufacturing. We'll have some units for people to buy. That's fabulous! Congratulations, guys. That's going to be fantastic. I know. Well, we are. We're pretty excited. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm only. I'm only disappointed that I didn't get in on it. That's what I'm disappointed for. Well, there, there's always a next time, Carl. There always is a next time. That's right. So, Kent, uh, I always ask my guests. At the end of the show, if they've seen anything online lately that has piqued their curiosity, anything cool that you've seen online? Yeah, yeah, Flickr map. Flickr map? Yeah, yeah, you know what? What has been, I thought, really cool was, I'm really into uh, the whole social networking, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's a really powerful model. The self-governing model that's going to be, you know, really exciting coming, you know, into the into the next five years. Hmm. And what I really liked about Flickr Map, which is essentially, there's a number of technologies that are like it, and it's you can take a a picture, yeah, and basically put it geolocate the picture and give it a time, huh. and then instead of searching the world by picture or caption, mm-hmm. you search it by where was I, when was that. Wow. Which is the most common way to think about the world. Right. You know, you know space time is a, is a great continuum. Let's <laughs> use it. You know? You know I, I, I think see how our whole existence is in it. I think I heard Jordy LaForge say that yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> Jordy, explain it to us. So, yeah, I, I really thought that was exciting. You can, you can, a lot of them allow you to, you know, share maps. You can put points. You know, here, I just went on a, I just went on a tour of different places. I'm thinking about buying. Here's the different places. Here's the links to them. You can blog map. I mean, there's, a, I thought that, I, I, at first I thought, hey, there was a business opportunity. And the more I researched, I just saw really great stuff out there. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was a real interesting use of social networking. That's fantastic. Cool. I'll have to check that out. You know what we're waiting for here is the digital camera with the GPS built right in. So it's <laughs> tagging those images with their location. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. That I, I think there's got to be one. That, you know what? Where's the toy boy? 
There you go. Yeah. You got to find one of those because I'll bet you I got to make this camera. And it's not enough just to give the location. I want to know which way you were facing and what time it was. Dude, that's the next quap. I'll be in on that. I'll write the software for it. We'll get together. We'll put the software into a camera for that and you're all over it. Sure. I'll just ditch everything else I'm doing right now. We'll just get to work on that immediately. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, guys, I can't tell you how much fun it's been talking to you about uh, Strange Loop in in Kent. Atlas sounds great. I can't wait for it. And uh, to everybody else who's listening out there, go download the bits right now. Check it out. And uh, we'll see you next week on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Yes, I'm a, a